Well, good morning. My name's Tony Anderson. If I haven't had the privilege of getting to know you, I serve on staff here as the executive pastor and the pastor of counseling, and it's a privilege to be here with you. Uh, I was just thinking, well, Thursday I got to teach, so it was like the last worship service of 2021, which means I get to teach this Sunday and I get the first one of 2022, so pretty excited about that. If you've been with us for a while since October, we've been in a series called Spirit-Filled, where we look at what it would look like in various contexts for us to have the Spirit of Jesus spilling out, the indwelling Spirit spilling out. We've looked at what that means is in our roles as uh, spouses, as parents, uh, as children, uh, as employees, as bosses, and even as givers. And we're going to continue with the theme of Spirit-filled, but we're going to look at a Spirit-filled church and we're going to step out of Ephesians 4 and go to Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, want to turn there, go to, ahead and be turning to Galatians chapter 6. And we want to look at what a spirit-filled church looks like. And before I get started, I just want to say, my wife Lisa and I love CFC. Uh, we, just comp- we just wrapped up 20 years at CFC here. We joined in September of 01, and it has uh, been a blessing. I just finished my ninth year on staff, and I can tell you, I serve with a wonderful staff, with a great team of elders, and I do believe CFC is a spirit-filled church, but we're not perfect. So as we stand here at the beginning of 2022, I want us to look at this passage and determine what can I do as a member to make CFC an even more spirit-filled church? I shouldn't say more spirit-filled. How can it be displayed more in me? as a member of this body. Now, when we think of the term church, the, the New Testament sort of speaks to it in two parts. We have what we would call the universal church, and that is made up of everyone who has placed faith in Jesus Christ. As Matt reminded us through the taking of the Lord's Supper, if we have placed faith in Christ as our sin bearer, made him Lord of our lives, we now have a common nature with every believer, past, present, and future. So the universal church are people with a common nature and a common purpose, which is to put the Lord on display so that a lost and dying world can see him. And then to part of that is to build the church, to make disciples who make disciples. And so as we look at this passage today, I want us to think through how is we, and this is the other part of a church, the local body. The New Testament speaks of that as well. A local body of believers, again, with a common nature and a common purpose. So as we look at this, how we have to recognize for CFC to be spirit-filled, it has to be true of the individual members as well. Because you think back two weeks ago when we were encouraged to be ready to be generous through readiosity, CFC cannot be known as a generous church if every one of us was selfish hoarders. Just couldn't happen, right? If we were all selfish hoarders, there's no way CFC could be known as a generous body. So if we're going to be known as a spirit-filled church, we as individual members have to be spirit-filled as well. And we want to do that not only to give glory to God, but out of gratitude for what Christ did do on the cross for us. We should never lose sight of the cross as our motivation for everything that we do for the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians 6, and we're going to see what is going to be true of a Spirit-filled church and its individual members. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. 
Paul writes, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If you're familiar with the law, I mean the book of Galatians, Paul had basically in parts of it admonished the churches in Galatia because after coming to saving faith, they had sought to add additional burdens, additional laws, reinstitute some laws on what it meant to be growing as a Christian. And Paul was basically saying, throw off those laws and remember the new law of Christ, which is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, one of the ways we do this is look out for others. So that's your first blank there is a spirit-filled church is going to watch out for others. The verse says, if you have a brother or sister who's caught in a trespass or ensnared in a sin, you who are spiritual are to restore him. The picture there is someone, a brother or sister has been caught basically in a trap and can't get out. They're ensnared. And so what we would do as believers, I believe, well, if we saw someone who fell, we would go seek and help them up. So the first thing we do when we watch some out for others, well, hang on, is we watch out for others. We watch out for others. Now, I said we would pick them up. So let me ask you this. If you did see someone fall... Would you take out your camera and just record it and laugh at them? Yeah, don't talk about some other people. I'm asking if you would. I heard that was quick. Some people would. Well, as Christ followers, we shouldn't. Although I do think that lesson got lost on a couple of members of our staff. As you know, if you know our college pastor, Ryan Toller, I mean, fancies himself a little bit of an athlete. And... Well, recently this year, we had this occurrence where someone was ensnared. Here comes Ryan. Can you tell he's never skied before? I can't. Look at him go. Oh. I'm so glad I got that on video. Are you all right? Still down. You need a hand, sir? It's mom for the camera. <laughs> now, I'm really glad our tech director, Ben, is listening to this message because he really needs to learn to help pick somebody up, right? So if we're watching out for others, though, if your brother's ensnared in sin, pick him up. We want to seriously... The command here is if you see him, you don't laugh at him, you don't video, you don't ski by him, you pick him up. You pick him up. And who is this command given to, by the way? Pastors, elders, you who are spiritual. Now, who's that? Well, the great thing about the book is when Paul wrote this, there were no chapter headings. Actually, you could remove the word the number six and look up. He had just talked about walking in the spirit. 
People who are walking in the spirit, verse 22, are those who their lives are marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It is a command for those, those people to help a brother or sister who's ensnared. It's not limited to a core group. In fact, one of the reasons we are encouraged to walk in the spirit is so that we can be useful in helping others. We are to walk in the spirit to actually love others well. That's one of the reasons. And you'll notice here also the command is to restore, not destroy a person. When it says that we are to, the word to restore is meaning to make useful again. Think about that. So in this context, you have a brother or sister who is ensnared in sin, and now we are to make them useful again, which implies what? They were useful before. A spirit-filled church will have people who have been ensnared and restored. Sin does not disqualify people from service, but we are to come alongside and restore them. We have lots of testimonies about this is my life before Christ. I was ensnared in sin, habitual sin. I got saved and now I serve. But the reality is we, as a church, we will continue to struggle in this life with sin and it doesn't disqualify us. We are to restore them to make them useful again. Not to come point out sin for the purpose of disqualifying them and removing them from the body. Sometimes that has to happen when there's a failure to repent, but the goal is restoration for fruitful service. That will be true of a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church will have people in fruitful ministry who have previously been ensnared. That should encourage you if you're struggling with that right now. Because who gets the glory if someone ensnared in sin is helped by a brother or sister and restored to useful ministry? The Father, the Lord gets credit for that. Not us. The world can say, wow, the Lord can even use him for fruitful service. That is a miraculous thing. So we help a person. We actually love a person when we come alongside and show him his sin. Some of the word that you use in the scripture is admonish. And that's a word we recoil at, right? How many of you would say, I'd like to line up to be admonished today? Not many, but if you think of the Greek word, which basically means put the truth in the mind. When we admonish someone, we put the truth of God in someone's mind. That's what we're doing. Whatever it is we're saying, let me show you from scripture what is true about you, about your circumstances, about the Lord. Now, how many of you would like to be admonished today? I would. I would always want the truth of the Lord being deposited in my mind. It is a gift when we do that. But we have to do it gently and humbly. And we'll talk about that because that's big in a moment. So we are to come alongside and pick them up and when they are ensnared. This next thing is there's a progression is if your brother has a burden, then you help carry it. Verse two says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So think of a progression. You've come alongside. There's been a Christian brother or sister who's been ensnared in sin. You've put the truth in their mind. You've shown them they've sought to repent, but there are habits and there's still a burden in overcoming that sin, putting off that sinful behavior. Or they've repented of the sin, but because of their sin, they live with a consequence. That could be short-term or long-term. That's another way of burden. 
or someone has been sinned against, all right? And now, because of the sin of someone else, they have a burden that they did not expect to carry, and we are to help come alongside them. Many times, people go through divorce because of the sinful acts of their spouse. And I'm so grateful for the men and women who have worked faithfully in divorce care and continue to do so. They are coming alongside people who have a especially hard burden in that season of life. We also live in a sin-cursed world where there is disease, there is illness, there is death because of sin. Not, not a particular sin, but that's a burden. Some people suffer with chronic illness or disease, and so that's a burden that they need help carrying. And let's don't forget the caregivers of those people. They're bearing someone else's burden 24-7 and they need someone to help them carry their burden as well. So we help pick them up, and then we help carry them through their burden. So what does that look like, though, particularly when we say we're going to help bear someone's burden? Well, first of all, it definitely includes prayer. We should be praying regularly for our brothers and sisters. We have the TPC, the Praying Church, which meets regularly for prayer. If that's something that you... Um, uh, um, feel compelled to do is praying for others on a regular basis. But also, I encourage you to pray with the people who are hurting. How many of you have ever had someone ask you, pray for me? Hopefully, every hand goes up if you're right. How many times do you do it right then? Let me stop and pray for you right now. I've had to develop, I've sought to develop that habit because I can get distracted and forget but one of the great blessings, not only of praying with someone right then and there is they can hear you pray and maybe as they hear a way, you pray a scripture over them. You pray a promise they had not thought of before. And now they can begin to pray with you in agreement over the current circumstances. As a spirit-filled Christian, as we grow in our knowledge of scripture and we know the promises of God and we can pray those with someone, that is a great blessing for someone. We can also just fellowship, right? When you bear burden, it implies that there's at least two or more people together bearing that burden. So it's not a one and done meeting when, okay, I had one cup of coffee with them and now I'm through bearing the burden. It could be providing accountability, not just someone they confess to afterwards, but accountability to make sure they are still walking in the spirit uh, staying faithful in their own spiritual disciplines so that they can come out the other side of whatever burden they're carrying. See, this is what should be true of a spirit-filled church. I know uh, one uh, uh, easy takeaway is we have a hope, uh, our hope center, the biblical counseling, we have a resource center over in the table. So maybe you know someone who's struggling with a particular issue. You can go get a resource, get two of them, say, let's read this together and talk about it engage them in the issue that they're struggling with. Very practical way where we can help bear someone's burdens. As we've been thinking about, I, I didn't have the guy set the dresser up, but as we've been in the dresser, you know, we've been putting off and putting on. One of the ways we can help them is as we're bearing their burden, teach them as God is renewing their mind, show them what thoughts, words, and behaviors to put off and what new ones to put on. Spiritually, you can be their fashion consultant, right? You can say, don't go out dressed like that, all right? You know, I'm sure some of you have wives who say, 
are you wearing that today? You know, so I had to get the seal of approval before I went out today. So anyway, um, Charles Spurgeon said that we cannot despise those with heavy burdens. You know, we can't be one of those where we're in church or in the courtyard and we see someone, oh, that person's got a burden. And so we start, how can I sort of walk the other way? We cannot be that type of church that despise. You can say, well, I just, life's so hard. I just want, I just want to hang around happy people. That's not a spirit-filled church. We have to engage with the hurting. And when we do, Paul says, now you're, you want a law to fulfill? Now you're fulfilling the law of Christ when we do that. Just a reminder, you're not responsible for the result. We are responsible to come alongside and encourage, to admonish, and to be patient. But you're not accountable for their, their response. If it's sin, you can't repent for them. You just have to be there to be faithful. I think one very practical way too, and it's, I think, through our circumstances happening a lot, for people who've been ensnared to have burdens, it is sometimes hard to come to church. Either maybe shame from a sin or they've been um, gone for a while. I know with COVID, a lot of people have not been in the body for a while. And so it's hard to actually walk back in the church, offer to drive them, offer to meet them in the courtyard, offer to come sit with them so that it is easier for them to connect with the body. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but if you are ensnared in that sin or you have a burden, it's clear one of the ways, one of the channels of God's grace is for others to come alongside and help you. So don't be someone who says, oh Lord, please help, and then ignore the help of the body, either because of pride or guilt. Allow someone to come alongside you. Sometimes it means you have to let them know, okay? So be mindful of that. So as we stop here, ask yourself, as we watch for others, are you the type of person who helps carry someone else's burdens? Can someone say that's true of you? And if not, why not? Because it says you who are spiritual are to do that. So there's really only two choices on the shelf. I'm walking in the spirit or I'm walking in the flesh. Would that be a reason why you're not helping others because you are still walking in the flesh. If you look up again to verse 19 of chapter five, deeds of the flesh are evident, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. Does that mark your life? Therefore, that's why you're not walking in the spirit. Or maybe he says, no, I, I do want to walk in the spirit. I do want to help others. I just don't think I'm equipped. Let me just say, that's one of the reasons we do the counseling discipleship training every year that starts next Friday, still time to register. It's not just so that we can have people trained to counsel formally at the Hope Center, but it's so you people in the body can say, I know in the scriptures how to help you with this. We believe, we believe the word of God is sufficient for every good work. So when someone has a problem and they're struggling, it's not because the Bible's not sufficient. Sometimes we're not sufficient because we haven't taken time to study, to know how to come alongside. And so what we do when that happens is we just give opinion or we punt 
oh, you need to call someone else. I'm not equipped to help. So I encourage you, if you want to get equipped, I encourage you to take the counseling training. So watch out for others. What else will be true of a spirit-filled church? Well, first of all, we're gonna be watching ourselves. Watch yourself. It starts right there in verse one. It says, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you are spiritual, store such a, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Two verses talk about helping others, but throughout this passage, we're gonna look at, there's so much on making sure we're watching our lives as well. Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor, he says, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do, this will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. Some translations say, watch your life and doctrine closely. We may be able to say what this book says, but our life doesn't reflect it. We have to be watching ourselves and make sure our own life is lining up with Scripture if we're going to be a Spirit-filled church that can help others. So what is... What does it mean to watch yourself? Well, I'm going to spot you the first one, walk in the spirit. We've already talked about that. If we're going to watch ourselves, we have to make sure we're walking in the spirit. I always love the picture Doug gives that for two people to walk together, they have to be in agreement. I can go for a walk. Thomas here can go for a walk, but we're not going to walk together unless we're in agreement on where we're going. So if I'm going to walk in the spirit... I need to know where the spirit is going. What's his agenda? What's his goal? What's he trying to accomplish and then get in line with him? He's not gonna change his agenda for mine. So I'm gonna walk in the spirit. I need to know what God is about. And he wants us to be making disciples who make disciples by showing the fruit of the spirit. So I'd encourage you, at, you know, we're here on January 2nd. It's always a great time to look backwards and to look forward. Would you be willing to ask your spouse or a close friend, do you see more of the fruit of the Spirit in me today than you did one year ago? Here's a harder question. Where don't you see it? Because it's easy to say, ask someone and they can try to say, well, yeah, I think I saw a little more patience. But there are probably circumstances where are uh, things that squeeze you where you're not showing the fruit of the Spirit? Would you be willing to ask them, where are you not seeing the fruit of the Spirit so that 365 days from now, when you look back, there's growth? So that's one challenge I have for you today. Would you ask and then you, would, you commit to grow? So what else should I be doing if I'm watching myself and you're watching yourself? First, next is we need to be gentle. It said in verse one, restore them with a spirit of gentleness. It means I'm approaching them out of love for the Lord and love for them. It's not, the opposite of gentle is harsh. So when I approach them, I'm not trying to be harsh. Proverbs 15, one says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I've failed in this before. I've failed in this as a counselor in the counseling room. There will be someone slow to repent after many weeks and frankly, in my own sinful frustration, thinking I'm the change agent, not the Lord, I speak harshly to them. And I have to ask forgiveness because that is not a gentle way to speak. 
And the other uh, detriment to that is when I speak harshly, the person who is being slow to repent shifts the focus to me and not the sin he, need, he or she needs to repent of. We need to be gentle because it reflects Christ, but it's also a stumbling block to others when we are harsh. We need to be gentle when we do that. You're seeking to do good for the other person. You're not trying to catch them in something. You're seeking to do good. So how can you be gentle when you approach someone about sin? Well, first of all, you can ask questions rather than accusations. Hey, you know what? I may not have all my facts right, but it seems that you said or did this. Is that correct? Or maybe, you know, can you, I know what you said. Can you share with me how that lines up with scripture? Ask questions. You're gentle. Now, to be clear, a gentle person can still be firm and direct when the situation calls for it doesn't mean you ignore it. You can still be firm and direct and say, now that we're in agreement on the facts, that doesn't line up with scripture. I have to love you enough to tell you that. So we're gentle. And humble. If you look at verse three, for anyone who thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We have to be very humble that, but for the indwelling spirit, God's word, whatever the person is struggling with, that could be me. We have to remain humble. If we go out there thinking, this church is lucky to have me, and I'm going to point out where you can grow, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. We have to remain humble. And you think about it, in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus says, come to me, all you are heavy, all you are, who are uh, weary and heavy laden, take my yoke and learn from me. He doesn't say learn from me and memorize all my statutes. He says learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus wants us to learn his character and that is gentle and humble. So if I'm watching for myself, I'm walking in the spirit, I'm being gentle and humble. And then we get to verses four and five, which says, but each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another for each one will bear his own load. So what we take away from this is we have to be responsible. We have to be responsible. This is not a call to be boastful in your own achievements, but rather to evaluate your life and your ministry and determine, can I see if God is bearing fruit in my life? Can I ask other ministry leaders, do you see fruit in my life? Am I being fruitful? Is there possibly a spiritual gift I'm not deploying? I think over the last two years, we've had a sort of a reset and people have pulled back and now they're being, some are being slow to re-engage. It's like, do you have a spiritual gift that you're not deploying? Evaluate your life and see if there's reason for boasting what God is doing through you. That's what fruitful ministry, we don't boast in ourselves. It's like, I can boast in the Lord that he can use even me for fruitful ministry. One of the things I think I'd like to say is I'm so grateful for the senior adults we have in this church. We have some awesome senior adults, and I would encourage you guys, stay in the game. 
continue. Don't just settle down this season of life for fluffy devotionals. Continue to dive into your theology. Continue to learn more and more about the Lord and then use it to help the rest of us. If you're not a senior adult, then you can learn from those senior adults. And I encourage you to find opportunities where you can glean wisdom from them who not only know the scriptures, but they've walked it. Very great. So a spirit-filled church is going to have very active senior adults. So going backwards again, what this causes, we're not trying to compare our work to your work or your work so I can boast that my ministry or my life's better than you. We evaluate our work and then we boast in the Lord what he's accomplished. And verse five says, for each one shall bear his own load. So what's Paul talking about there? I think this is a good picture. As we talked about a spirit-filled church, we all have our own backpack, so to speak. What do I mean by that? Well, if I'm gonna be a spirit-filled believer as a husband, as a father of an adult, son, grandparent, elder, employee, I have responsibilities that I have to carry out. Now, because of sin, work, which is good, has toil involved. So it's clear that our responsibilities are a load, right? It's not a piece of cake. But I have to be responsibly carrying my load because what could happen is for someone else, because of sin, either their sin or sin against them or sin of the world, their uh, load gets added to and it becomes a burden. So I have to be responsibly carrying mine so that I am ready to help someone else bear their burdens. If you think about it, we've talked about if we're going to be ready to be generous, we have to remember we're managers and good stewards of our money, which impacts the way we spend, the way we save, and the way we share. We can't be ready to be generous unless we're responsible. So just like we have to be ready to share, we have to be ready to bear. We have to be responsible in our own lives in order to do that. So let me ask you, are you in, as you fulfill your regular responsibilities, fulfilling your backpack, so to speak, are you respectful of others? Are you trustworthy? In other words, if you say you're gonna be there, can the ministry leader count on you? Or is it like, well, something came up at the last minute. Do you procrastinate? Think about that. If you have responsibility, your own responsibilities and you put them off and then a need comes up to help someone else, you're unable to help them because you haven't faithfully fulfilled your responsibility. So we should be about taking care of our responsibilities so that we are ready to bear the responsibilities or the burdens of others. Walk in the spirit, be gentle and humble, be responsible. So what else do we see from this? If I'm watching myself, Paul tells us, don't be deceived, plant good seed. Plant good seed. Verses seven and eight, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For he, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. See, Paul is using natural, a uh, natural law analogy to make to point out a spiritual reality. 
So a natural law is something that God has established to order the created world. Right? God is not confined by natural law. He created it. He can step out or suspend the natural law. And that's one of the ways we might see a miracle. But what is an example of a natural law? If I let go of this bottle, what's going to happen? Yeah, I'm not David Copperfield. It's not a trick question. What's going to happen? What, what law was in effect there? If I dropped it 10 times, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. Paul is using the, here a natural law of reaping and sowing. For example, if I plant a corn seed, what will I harvest? Corn, right? If I plant a tomato seed, I'm going to harvest tomato. I can't plant corn and get tomato. I just can't. Just like I can't drop this and it not fall. Paul tells us that when we sow, when we plant to the flesh, those, those descriptions up in verse 19 of chapter 5, we will harvest corruption and destruction based on which translation you say. It is inevitable. It will happen. Ten times out of ten. But if we sow, if we plant to the spirit, we will reap eternal life. Paul starts the analogy, though, with a warning. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I think many Christians can be deceived. And that's why the New Testament speaks about that in many situations. First Corinthians, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. James chapter one, don't be merely a hearer of the word and not a doer, and thereby deceive yourself. Paul's telling us right here, we can be deceived. This is a warning to the believer who thinks, I'm under grace, I'm forgiven, I can't lose my salvation, I can sin without consequences. Now, we might not ever say that, but our street-level theology can reveal it. If there is a particular sin in your life that you're sort of lackadaisical about, hey, I probably shouldn't do that, but you know, I'll get around to working on that. You're deceived. You're deceived. And the warning is God will not be mocked. Think about this. God has said, I've instituted the church to display my glory and to be attractive to others. If we go out and claim the name of Christ and live in a way that besmirches his character, we got to expect God's going to act. Don't be mocked. I mean, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, it is possible that a person who says he's a believer is not a believer, and therefore he's going to act like an unbeliever. But what this passage has in mind is, is the believer, is a true believer who's walking in disobedience, and that mocks God. It sneers at him, it insults him, and there's going to be consequences. Now, you might say, time out. This is getting a little too harsh. I don't do that. I do not mock the Lord. But we have to realize we live in a uh, society that is relentlessly mock, mocking the Lord. And so the more we conform to our culture and engage in it, the more likely we are to mock the Lord. And so how, does that, how do we see that in the church? Well, how about this? The gospel is all about forgiveness, but a person who says, I am withholding forgiveness or, and hanging on to bitterness. I get to teach forgiveness in the counseling training every year. I've 
had the privilege of teaching on it here. I know Jonathan teaches our high school students about forgiveness and you're not supposed to use 100% words, but every time I've taught forgiveness, at least one person, usually more, has come up to me and says, I know the Bible says that, but, but for whatever reason, my circumstances is different and I don't have to forgive or I can hang on to my bitterness. That doesn't share the gospel. That is contrary to the gospel. You just planted to the flesh and just like this is gonna fall, you will reap destruction. What are other situations? Many areas of sexuality, sex outside of marriage. I've had, as I prepared for this, I was surprised, well, I shouldn't be, I guess, but several of our counselors say that for those who've been married before and are waiting to get married again or hope to get married, they don't think having sex outside of marriage is wrong. Well, I've already been married. I don't have to save it for marriage anymore. Pornography. If you believe as a young person, you can watch it and it will not impact your marriage, you are deceived. Many marriages have been impacted negatively for pornography and it traces back to pornography that start before they even knew each other. Just like that water bottle is gonna hit the ground, there will be destruction. Some other examples, choosing ease of life over faithfully parenting or stewarding your children. I've got too much to get done. Let me just sort of placate them so I can get my life, my responsibilities taken care of. Or eating to excess or drinking alcohol to excess, either to escape or for comfort. Thinking, as, you know, as long as I'm not driving, we're mocking the Lord and we have to be careful. And it's interesting, people will continue in these behaviors and they're saying, I don't understand why my life's not fruitful. It's sort of like, why does my head keep hurting when I bang it on the wall? I don't get it. Good news is though, because every, every time God promises consequences for disobedience, he promises a blessing for obedience. If we plant to the spirit, we will reap eternal life. Now, it begs the question, don't we already have eternal life in heaven? Yes, that is secure. But Paul is talking about an in this life um, event that we will reap the blessings of eternal life here and now. We will experience peace despite our, our circumstances. A supernatural joy, a supernatural, it comes from the indwelling spirit. No matter what's going on, we can come here, here in your shower, wherever, and sing praises to the Lord because of what he's done. Unbelievers don't have that. We can sing praises to the Lord. And we get conformed to the image of Christ. What a blessing that is when we plant to the Spirit. So remember, sowing and reaping are cyclical, right? Farmers plant cyclical. Do we have any farmers here? Thursday had no farmers. I think I only had one person with a garden even. So <laughs> I got one right there. You, it's cyclical. And so as you look on 2021, maybe you were planting or sowing to the flesh. Great time to repent, confess, and plant a new crop. If you planted to the Spirit in 2021, it's still time to plant a new crop. Let's sow to the Spirit. So as we work through these things, maybe even in your own seat right there, you're thinking, oh man. So Paul tells us, 
Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Paul tells us then, do not grow weary of doing good. And there's two aspects of good in this. In verse 9, it says, don't grow weary of doing good. That word is, means like, don't grow weary of doing excellent as opposed to shoddy work. Maybe you've been in a ministry or you're in a job and you're like, you know, I just feel like I can mail it in. I'm going to wing it today. These five-year-olds won't know the difference. I'll just wing it. Don't grow weary of doing good because if you don't, you will reap. It says if you don't, as long as you don't grow weary, you will reap the reward. I think Paul knew sometimes we're like children. Have you ever had a child, maybe when they were growing up, they had a school experiment, they had to plant a seed and they go to bed and they wake up the next day and go, where's my tomato? They wanted, they wanted to reap and sow all on the same day. Paul's telling us it does take growth. Don't grow weary of doing good. And going back, it says... So then while we have opportunity, this period of time, this season, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of God. We need to be doing good, demonstrable acts of kindness to one another. And we do that when we see a need, we meet a need. We pray for them. We help bear their burdens. Be ready to share, be ready to bear for the glory of God. Now skip the verse. Y'all notice that? Verse six. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. This verse, I do believe, conveys as part of it that those, a church should share financially with its teachers. And can I just tell you, I'm grateful. <laughs> For that. I benefit from that. And you, we have a very generous church. So I'm very grateful. I think in the context between watching others and watching yourself, though, there's also broader application here. This is a concept of mutuality that we would be sharing with others, not just finances, but sharing in words of encouragement, sharing in prayer. One day I could have the burden. The next day I could be the help carry a burden. Spurgeon says, I like this, trade, think commerce, trade produces wealth. In the body of Christ, when we exchange prayer, when we exchange words of encouragement, even admonishment, the whole body is enriched when we do that. So we share with one another. And so practical takeaways, are you involved in a smaller community within this body? where you can share with one another. I'm so grateful for our family group and just um, the encouragement they are to me. So many in our group, really, they do so much of a better job than me even bearing the burdens of others. They are so proactive in it. I encourage you, if, if your participation ends in this room, I wanna ask you to join, get in another smaller group of community. As, right, I looked at this, we have about 1,000 adult members and another 650 adult regular attenders. That's a lot of people and just our small staff can't bear the burdens for all that, just practically can't do it. But that's why we have these small groups to do that. 
So as Matt comes to close us, as we think through 2022, I'd ask yourself, how can I play a role in CFC being an even, have even more display of a, being a spirit-filled church? Is there something in my life I need to work on? Do I need to start a new help? Bless.